And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Very excited about today's show. It is July. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, for a reason I will not disclose right now. It is 100 degrees outside. And that sweltering sweat the moment you walk outside heat is a reminder to me that it is about to be fantasy football season. I always like to start the prep a little bit early, like in July, right before training camp starts. I know that's late compared to the fantasy industry, but for someone that doesn't do it all the time, this is the time for me. So I wanted to have a fantasy-centric show before we took a little break before training camps. And I couldn't do that without two buddies of mine, two guys are, that are very well-respected and with good reason in the fantasy world, Evan Silva of Establish the Run, Josh Norris of the newly formed Underdog, who hosts the Underdog Fantasy Football Show. It is fantastic if you guys have not listened. I'm very excited to have both of you. Evan, thank you for doing this. We seem to do this once a year, and I always enjoy it. Yeah, it's becoming a really good tradition. Um, we've probably done five, six podcasts together, including on Establish the Run. Um, you put together some some great questions for today. I worked with Josh Norris for many years yes. uh, at Roto World NBC. I think we... We, we used to crush our, our podcast together. So hopefully we can uh, live up to that standard for the athletic and for the great Robert Mays. Josh, that's the reason I wanted to have you guys. Cause I knew you would give each other endless amounts of shit as we had this conversation. <laughs> right. So I was really looking forward to that dynamic as I paired you together again. Yeah. Not only endless amounts of shit. Uh, I'll start off with a positive. Evan pulled me from the depths of the dungeon in earth city, Missouri from the St. Louis Rams uh, headquarters and, and hired me over at the then esteemed rotoworld.com. So yes, I've learned a lot from Evan. So glad I get to join you, Robert, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm excited to do this today. I'm looking forward to just picking your guys' brains. Again, I come to this much later than you guys do. I have yet to even start thinking about this year's group of players, what strategies might be, where guys are undervalued, which positions you have to hit when. So we're going to talk about all of that stuff, and I'm really going to try to lean on just the amount of thought and attention that you guys have put into this already at this point in the calendar. Evan, I'll start with you. I'm just curious, as you've done best ball drafts, as you've done your top 150, as you've done, I'm sure, some league-wide drafts already, are there any kind of overarching big-picture takeaways you find permeating your drafts and strategies this year, whether it's about a position group, the way you're going about your drafts, just something that you feel like you keep coming back to. So for many years, one of the greatest ways to create an advantage on your opponents who, uh, especially like in, in home leagues and office leagues, just would, would draft uh, with regard to the players that they knew the best. And those players happen to be quarterbacks. They would draft quarterbacks way too early. So to create an advantage on them, you could wait and be the last guy in your home or office league to draft a quarterback and you would be fine. Uh, because if, if you look at like the, the rankings every year about uh, at 
regarding like how uh, evenly these guys are scored. They scored very evenly for a, for a very long time. But I think that in, over the last two years, I would say, there has been a major shift in the value of the elite quarterbacks. And this was uh, especially evident last year if you were playing DFS, if you were playing daily fantasy on a weekly basis, you wanted to be attached to Kyler Murray. You wanted to be attached to Patrick Mahomes or um, you know Josh Allen. And I think that there has been a shift in a movement toward, or at least there should be, toward valuing quarterbacks at that onesie position more than there than there should have been in the past. And, and, and even potentially extends down to Justin Herbert, who I think has a chance to take a leap into potentially the first tier. Dak Prescott, who absolutely can score along uh, with that first tier. And so that is the, the, the biggest shift, I think, entering 2021 uh, about how we can kind of you know, be contrarian or go re- reverse on, on, you know, the, the way that we drafted in the past at this particular position and also to connect our quarterback picks. Like say you start off with Tyreek Hill at the end of the first round, or you take Deandre Hopkins, you know, early in the second, or, um, you know, you take, uh, I don't know, Mark Andrews in the third, and, and then you come back with Lamar Jackson uh, tying these, these are our, our elite picks or our, our, our very early round draft picks to our quarterback can give us an advantage and allow us to maximize upside, especially in best ball leagues. But I also think that you can do that in season long redraft. It's so funny because I always used to do that just because I enjoyed it as a fan. I just love the fantasy experience when you would stack. And this is before I think they'd even call it stacking. You know, probably five, 10 years ago when the public wasn't talking about it in those terms. And the fact that now it's become sound upside, high upside fantasy strategy is just very fun to me. Because for me, I read something every year that's the most fun fantasy league you can draft in auctions. I've done it for the last five years. And I would always pair a quarterback and receiver together just because I do think it adds to the experience. And the fact that it happens to align with sound strategy is just very funny to me, like a decade after I started doing it for shits and giggles. Josh, I want to talk about just the range for quarterbacks a little bit later on, but I wanted to ask you what you think has caused that shift. From an outsider's Mm. perspective, at first blush, my thought is it's because the profile at the position has changed. It's because rushing upside and rushing ability has become so intertwined with more quarterbacks in the league. Do you think there's anything more to it than that when you're looking at that transition that Evan's talking about? That's totally fair. And I think people now realize that rushing ability creates a really standard floor for the quarterback position. And we were able to get, you know, the Lamar Jacksons, the Kyler Murray's, I can keep going on the Cam Newton's later and later and later in their drafts early on in their respective careers. And I think truly probably because of Evan, because of you, because of a lot of other content creators out there, you know, the public is or better drafters now, and you don't get that discount of the uh, rushing upside, the rushing floor of these guys anymore. In fact, those kind of pocket statues who throw the ball down the field in a very good offense, but might be older and not, you know, present you scoring touchdowns inside the 10 yard line with their legs. Uh, They're the ones going later at this moment. So it, it is kind of this, and I'm with Evan, you know, I always had that one office league, that one home league that I really did care about. And I was able to wait. And the more I look into this, the more I get to a certain point where I'm targeting about three or four players based on the offense that they're in 
And it's not necessarily just because they have rushing upside anymore, just because it's like a sweet spot of the draft. And I'm not waiting until round 11 anymore to take these guys. Um, so it, it has been a, a significant shift. And I kind of feel like this is the first year that it has really taken hold. But even to that point, I'm more comfortable this year, Evan, maybe you can back me up, like taking a Dak Prescott, taking one of those earlier guys than I have it in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, it's the movement ability that, that has, because, you know, you remember the passing explosion that occurred after really after the lockout of what was that like 2011 was one of the highest upside, highest production passing seasons of all time. You had Rogers, you had Brady, that 2011 saints offense was insane with breeze. And and it was dominated by Cam Newton just slung the ball over the yard. Well, him too. But it was really dominated by Matthew Stafford had, you know, through what do you throw like 50 touchdowns or something like that? I mean, it was dominated by tr- by traditional pocket passers. And at that time, I think across the league, like if you listen to coaches talk about it at that time, or even Greg Cosell, who talks to coaches, you know, they, they still believe that traditional pocket passer was absolutely the way to go. And that even extended into the, the middle of that decade, I think, maybe 2015, 2016, and then things started to change a little bit. And this ability to uh, of these quarterbacks to rack up rushing production in addition to being prolific passers has really changed the way that we should look at the quarterback position, not only in real life, but also in fantasy football. Josh, do you feel like that advantage started to kind of diminish last year? Because I want to say that in 2019, Lamar Jackson might have been quarterback 18 in quarterback ADP before that season. And I want to say Kyler Murray was quarterback six before last year. And if you're trying to go off specific archetypes, it felt in a lot of ways like Kyler Murray had a chance to be the 2020 version of Lamar Jackson last year, but that felt baked into his ADP in a way it might not have with previous athletic mobile quarterbacks in years past. I think there's always one out there that is misidentified, misunderstood, and even underrated. And I would say last year, even though he was going around the middle of that group a little bit later on was Josh Allen. And it's, it's one that no matter what kind of the biases that we all bring to the table factors into fantasy football. And also last offseason was so different and unique where we said the same exact things in May, as we did the final week of August, that nothing really changed throughout there. And I really think that there is like potentially great value in the unknown and and the uncertainty when we're doing these drafts. That's always the case with rookies. I think both of you know this from playing tons of face football that if you pick the right rookies, it's like a trump card. It's a wild card for your your drafts because they can exceed their ADP or their value by about 10 rounds. Um, Obviously last year, that was the Justin Jefferson's, the Brandon Ayuk's instead of, you know, the Jalen Rager's or the the Henry Ruggs, but it's also the, the, the players who change teams too. It's, you know, last year was Stefan Diggs. And for some reason, like the football collective, other than you, Robert, just was uncertain of like the, the Diggs, Josh Allen marriage. And Diggs was going as like wide receiver 27 last year, which is bananas to think about because he was basically a league winner and a top five scorer at the position just because we talk ourselves into this bubble a little bit. So being able to like step back, survey that, that can be a quarterback, that can be a running back, that can be a wide receiver. I think there's a ton of value there. We're going to get into some of those. The Diggs thing is, I just never understood it. It just, yeah. I, I, every time I looked at that ADP last year, and I was like, there's no way. 
there's just no way when you give up a first round pick for a guy with this amount of talent, he should be going as the 24th receiver. And I'm curious who those guys are this year. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to start with some, and I also want to talk about some of the rookie quarterbacks and not just the, the thought process with quarterbacks, but the range and some of the tiering and the way that you guys are thinking about the position. Before we do that though, I want to talk about early round strategy because it really does feel like, and I think a lot of the smarter more high-profile voices in the space are talking about how important it is to get running backs early, especially when you look at scarcity and the way the position is right now. So with early round strategy, Evan, do you find yourself going running back, running back in the first two rounds more often than not right now? I generally don't subscribe to any uh, definitive early round strategy. I build my rankings, you know, my top 24, and I generally go off my rankings And then I let the picks that I make in those first two rounds dictate how I treat the rest of my draft. Sure. Because I'm trying to minimize risk up top. I'm trying to maximize upside up top. I've done so much, you know, poured time into, into all this. And I'm generally going to trust my rankings. With that said, if I were to choose a specific strategy to deploy in the early rounds, it would be to grab an anchor running back within the first two rounds. And then, you know, I play in all PPR leagues. Um, and I know we're supposed to talk about half PPR. It doesn't really but, matter. I just use that right. as a baseline. It, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, either way, you're getting, you know, points for receptions. And, and it's really not that big of a difference between half PPR and full PPR. But, um, you know, I like to grab an anchor running back and then maybe get an elite tight end within yeah. my first five uh, picks, uh, try to get, you know, fill it up with elite receivers, be, be willing to stack, um, maybe even d- do a team stack. Um, but, you know, tie uh, one of my early wide receiver picks to a quarterback in the, in the early rounds, as we've discussed, like maybe in the fifth or sixth round for that quarterback pick, and then come back and take shots on potential RB2s that could hit Zach Moss of the Bills. Potentially, you know, um, the the rookie Michael Carter of the Jets a little bit later on, Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon of San Francisco, you know, take middle to late round shots on that RB2. I've already built like, you know, a super team around uh, without addressing RB2. And and I'm also minimizing some risk because running backs get hurt at a higher rate than, than any other position. But getting that anchor running back, coming back, trying to get elite you know, fill the rest of my roster with elite guys and then just take shots at that R- at that RB2 position and then be very di- diligent on the waiver wire as the season kicks off. I mean, Miles Gaskin was a great pickup for people after week one last year. I think he played 70% of the snaps in week one. He's was still, some people were still hooked on Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, you know, but that was a guy, that was, that's an example of a guy that you could get very early in the season and he wound up being the RB8 in, in PPR points per game during his 10 appearances. So that's sort of the, the strategy that I'm looking at um, ideally, but I, I still really do ascribe to, um, you know, kind of trusting my ranks in rounds one and two and then letting the picks that I make there dictate the, the, the rest of my draft. So that running back wide receiver, wide receiver build, I think makes a ton of sense when you just look at the pool of players. When I looked at it initially right now, Again, one of the first times I've done it all year, I was like, that makes sense. Because I just think that that group of, let's say, 10 to 12 guys at running back near the top of the draft, it feels very important to come away with one of those guys because of where the drop-off happens. Yep. So, Josh, when you're looking at that group, 
where does that cutoff exist for you? Where do you think the last player in that tier is and who do you think it is? Yeah, great question because there aren't 24 of those. We know that. And I think the question you have to ask yourself is how many of these running backs, if they stay healthy, do I have absolutely zero questions about? Like that they are foundation pieces. And as Evan alluded to, like no position gets injured more. So it's going to happen no matter what. Um, but for me, there's 13. There's 13 of those. And you can I name guess, them if you want to, if you just want to rattle them off. I, I won't go through, but you know, like the Christian McCaffrey through, let's say the Saquon Barkley tier, that's obviously the top six. Then after that, it's Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Tony Gibson for me. So really the two that are going sometimes in that round two, maybe early round three area that I'm leaving out, and maybe we can have a conversation about this, is Aaron Jones and Najee Harris. And that hurts because we know what... Aaron Jones can do when attached to Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense. And we know certainly why based on opportunity, uh, what the Steelers want to do with Najee Harris, but I'm just debating the the success of it. And I guess I'm over market on someone like CEH on, on Clyde Edwards, Elaire. But if, if I can get one of those 13 and if I'm at like the 111 or the 110 and I take two of those, maybe like a Austin Eckler and a Joe Mixon, I'll start running back, running back. Not to throw a complete curveball in here, Robert, but what's even more scarce than an anchor running back is, is a tight end that scores over 150 points because only two of those did that last year. And in 2019 and 2018, there were five. And so we're seeing the Travis Kelsey's, the Darren Wallers, and the George Kittles now going in the top two rounds because of that. I think that if you can come away with Kelsey in the first round, and like you said, those guys at the back half of that tier, whether it's Mixon, Eckler. Yep. I'm not sold on the Edwards Hilaire part of this, but I agree. Let's that have that conversation think, sometime. So I think that Najee Harris is the, the first guy below it. And I think Antonio Gibson is probably in that second tier to me as well. I think the, the names you listed and then a back half of that tier, I think Akers, Eckler, and I would cut it off at Mixon. Jones, I have no idea what you're going to do with that. <laughs> it's just all of the Packers are such a wild card at this point. But I think that's about where I'd cut it off. What do you think about Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Evan? Do you you think he belongs in that group at the back half of that top top tier? <laughs> um, Norris is making some weird gesture. Uh, <laughs> I, I, he's uh, he's right in the fringe, you know. Um, I believe that Najee Harris does belong in there, though, Ooh. because I've been, you know, I've been doing this a really long time. Okay, and worrying about yards per carry or offensive line play. I or just can't do it. I cannot root for a guy that's going to get 25 Mace. carries for 3.8 yards a carry. Stop I cannot have that it. on my team. Stop thinking about it in real football terms. Okay. I've been doing this a long time, man. If you can, if you have a guy who has a chance to get like 350 touches, you just don't overthink it. I, I think that Najee Harris is going to average 3.4 yards per carry. And I don't care. I think that he belongs in that second tier I think I have him RB 13 right now. You, you just you can't, can't watch, watch the game right when now. you draft him. That's it. You just can't watch the game. Yeah, just don't watch the game. Just, <laughs> well, I, mean, I can't I mean, do that. Yeah, go back and watch some Steelers games from the, the second half of last season, and you'll know not to watch any Steelers games this year. But, I mean, he, he, he has a chance to lead the NFL in touches. Like, he would be top 10 uh, if you were to set odds. So – I think you just don't overthink it. And you, you take them and you hold your hold your nose. Wait, before we move on, can I make the CEH argument? For you, you absolutely guys? can. I, yeah. I was going to come back to you yeah. here. 
Can, can I, I'm going to try to flip you. Okay. In the opening six games of last season, and we all know that opening game of the season when he had like six carries inside the 10 yard line and didn't convert on any of them. I think we also all remember that the offensive line, he's getting hit in the backfield constantly. We know that's a major improvement with Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, maybe in Creed Humphrey at center, so on and so forth. Anyways, opening six games of last season, 21 touches per game, 113 yards and two spiked weeks, meaning two like top 10 scoring weeks. Then obviously starts to deal with some injuries and they go out and sign a name brand player and Le'Veon Bell. So everything kind of crumbles from there. He only had 18 opportunities inside the 10 yard line, two total touchdowns on those 18 opportunities. But most importantly, what did we talk about? of CEH coming out of school. I mean, he set records in the SEC in terms of receptions. That only equaled, what, like 35 receptions last year, 36? He could easily get to 55, easily add another 25 to his table this year. And just simply put, going back to earlier how we're drafting, I want to draft good teams and I want to draft good offenses. There is no player that is associated to a locked in top three offense right now at the running back spot that like to me is getting more of a discount compared to the other ones than, than CEH. So can I build the case against them? Yes, Evan, of course Slow, you can. Small. Le'Veon Bell wasn't his problem last year. Daryl freaking Williams was his problem. I was going to ask how year. many snaps Le'Veon Bell actually ate into yeah, because right. it didn't seem like it was that many. It was a hip and and foot injury was what really slowed him down. But Evan. All right. All right. No, no, no. I'm not done. Okay. All <laughs> Go right. ahead. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is not a check down passer. So you need you need them to dial up. what One thing that was missing from their offense last year, and this is, has been a historical trademark of Andy Reid offense, is uh, screen passes to running backs. That was like, you, you didn't see that. You know, they threw way more screens to Travis Kelsey than they did to their RBs. Hopefully, with a full offseason and you know training camp and preseason, they'll feel more comfortable throwing screens to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he's not going to be getting checkdowns because Patrick Mahomes doesn't really check the ball down. So, I think it's offensive line continuity as well because all the injuries and all of the moving parts yeah, up there, no, that's they're a very so good point. precise with yeah. their timing, their, their, um, On their the aiming plays, points, yeah. everything else. It, it requires a lot of detail, the screens in that offense, and I would assume they didn't feel as comfortable running them because of how many guys were in that rotating group of offensive linemen. Very very good point. I, and I'm not anti-Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It's just this goes to show that, you know, how sort of polarizing he can be this year right? and how, you know, in, indefinite his projection is, even though he is – you know, he was a first round pick and he's playing in an elite offense. Yeah. We, we just did a show like making the case for players. No one wants to make the case for. And like in this tier, CEH is going as the running back 15 on underdog. And I'm trying to make the case for him as, as a top six running back. One final note, he had better yards after contact per attempt last year than Alvin Kamara, Mike Davis, Jonathan Taylor, Zico Elliott, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs. Again, much better, much better offensive line play that hopefully can just open up this offense on a more consistent basis for some of the things that are designed to him. Uh, it's an outside shot, Evan, but like a massive leap. As someone who was being drafted as like the 106 last year, he's almost been forgotten about. And like, I think a lot of the negatives are already baked into where he's going in drafts right now. And I think that if you are, if you really are dead set or on getting a guy like Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or Stefan Diggs a little bit earlier, and you need one of those guys, 
you need to make cases for players like this. I know it's not the most exciting option in the world when he's not in that top, top tier, but with certain with the way certain drafts break, you're going to need to roll the dice on one of these guys eventually. So I can understand understanding the positives and the negatives. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking at that top, top tier of running backs, though, Evan, in your rankings, I believe you have six running backs at the top. I think a lot of other people are right in that similar zip code. And the names we know, McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott. A lot of people have Jonathan Taylor in that group. And then some people have Nick Chubb, a little bit all over the place. But those are mostly the names that we're talking about. Is there a group, a guy in that group, Evan, that you think is the riskiest bet that is not as much of a sure thing as some of those other guys might be? Yeah, I mean, I actually think that um, to some extent, like it's it's a risky first round running or first running back tier altogether. Um, and I would say that that begins with Alvin Kamara at number three. Yeah, we that's have, me. Agreed. Uh, yeah, we have we have quarterback change that matters. Is Jameis Winston going to be willing to check down to Alvin Kamara as much as, you know, if Taysom Hill is in there, that's that could be a big problem for Alvin Kamara. His his reception numbers were very up and down, and Taysom Hill starts last year. At the end of the day, I'm betting on Alvin Kamara and Sean Payton. I think that he's going to be the focal point of the offense still, and and their offensive line just fucking kills, you know. So, um, <laughs> there. I mean, I, I think he's going to be fine. That's why I have him as the RB three. RB4 Saquon Barkley, we can we continue to get indications, whether it be from beat writers or Saquon himself talking about it, that he's going to be eased into the season. His injury last year was bad. It occurred early in the year, which is good, but it wasn't just an ACL tear. It was a bunch of stuff, and it's going to make him I, – I remember reading uh, Dr. Chow's uh, report after immediately after the injury. He was no guarantee to be ready for week one. Um, so that is, uh, that, that makes him risky. Derek Henry love the big dog. You know, this dude is, I mean, the best runner of our generation, eighth player in NFL history to ever run for 2000 yards in this era too, in this economy, Derek Henry stud has no receiving floor. I mean, you know, what's his, what, what's his ceiling for receptions? 25, maybe that would be like a gift. Um, and so, and if he gets hurt, I mean, and, and they got, they're changing the OCs. I mean, Arthur Smith was a big deal. And then Zeke Elliott, he, he didn't look good last year. Um, now the reports have been good about his off season and he's still a young player, but I mean, he was, out, he was sort of outplayed by Tony Pollard last season. So I think it's a pretty risky first round, first running back tier period. So can I ask Evan a question? 
where is your cutoff, Evan, between, because I, I think Travis Kelsey is like the book into that. Ones that you're absolutely willing to take. Is it four of those names? Is it five of those names? Who's the last one? Then before you're like, Travis Kelsey's my pick. I was also going to oh, ask that question. So there we see, go. See, I have Kelsey a little bit lower right now, but I've been juggling him all around. I don't know where to where to jam him in right now. Um, I'm kind of struggling with that. But I, it's a it's a fair question, and that's act that's absolutely uh, it's a more fair question on underdog where you're playing best ball and just locking right. in that. You know, every I mean, Travis Kelsey is going to be a top five tight end, like in twelve of seventeen weeks, like at a minimum. You know, so in best ball, where which you promote, obviously, primarily, and I, I do my ranks uh, mainly for season long, you know, management leagues. Um, I have him a little bit lower than that, but I, but I, I totally hear you, and I, I think that in in underdog best ball, he should be right on the tail end of, of that top six RBs. I think that list of six makes sense. I'm more inclined to put Austin Eckler in that group than I am to put him in the group alone. Dude, I think I almost that's put crazy. him in there last night. I'm not even kidding you. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting there, you know, changing my – I moved him from my number 12 overall player to number eight last night, and I was like, man, I kind of want to put him in that first year. I just – I feel – I honestly, I know the talent is such a supernova of ability, and what he did in the second half of last year is so tantalizing. But I think right now – Josh, tell me if this is crazy. I would rather bet on Austin Eckler than Jonathan Taylor. You're not crazy at all. I want you to continue to make this Austin Eckler case because I, I want to hear it as someone who, I mean, Justin Herbert set the world on fire last season. I don't think it can be undersold how much of an advantage it is moving from the coaching staff last season to one that is beyond competent. We think one that is going to make good roster decisions, good in-game management decisions in pivotal situations. I mean, those four-point plays of okay, it's a third and and four. Missing that gives us a field goal versus driving in for a touchdown. Those are critical. And then also usage in certain areas. Uh, jumping from what they've had for decades, it feels like, to the Chargers, to what they're going to have now with Brandon Saley. And I fully trust, I've never spoken to him. You have. Uh, I fully trust everything that he has brought to the table in terms of just the way he thinks about the game. There is tremendously, and Evan knows this from covering this for so long, there is a trickle down between a, a, a smart head coach and how they view the game and then the usage and how it just aligns with how we want it to throughout the rest of the offense. I don't even think it takes that much imagination. He's going to be Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Like the, the usage is such that he's going to, they're going to try to use him in the same way that the Saints use Alvin Kamara, where they have specific roles carved out for him in the passing game because we've seen him do it. I think he's arguably with guys like Naheem Hines with Kamara right up there as maybe the most skilled pass catching running back in the entire NFL. So not only if we're predicting gains from the offense schematically, just overall with another year of experience and them being together, I think that the role and what we've seen from this offense in the past makes him a tantalizing pick, Evan. And the O-line is going to be so much better. So and much better. I mean, they I mean they, they I think they have like a chance to have an actually good offensive line. When was the last time the Chargers had even a, a mediocre offensive line? I mean, Phillip I was Rivers in college. Got, it was like 15 Phillip, years ago. Philip Rivers got ragdolled for a decade and a half, you know. Um so I think that that's going to raise the comfort level for Justin Herbert. I mean, you, you remember he he wasn't even supposed to start 
last year. I mean, they were intent. Anthony Lynn loved Tyrod Taylor, and they won their first game. It was ugly, but they won their first game, and he was going to continue to start as long as they were winning games. And then the freak thing happened with the punctured lung or whatever from the doctor, and Justin Herbert gets in there, absolutely lights it on fire with no preseason, not no training camp, nothing, not even, you know – he was taking backup reps and anybody who really has studied the NFL closely and listen to how coaches talk about this stuff. Like the backup doesn't get reps. The starter gets all the reps and the backup will sometimes mix in for, you know, a handful of reps or, you know, get playing seven on seven and all that. But um, I, what, what he was able to do right, right off the bat, I think was just so impressive. And I think he's in such a better situation from the coaching to the offensive line in particular, getting back Austin Eckler healthy. I think, what do you guys think about Mike Williams? He's a player that I've really, I want to get to him a little bit later because I I, I think that, because I absolutely think if we're talking about dice rolls, he's somebody that's really intriguing to me before we move on. I want to talk about receivers here in a second. One more Herbert point, and I'm sure we'll talk about him with quarterbacks. Staley told me on my show a couple weeks ago, that they want Herbert to be the offense. And I'm actually reading Jeff Duncan's book right now about Sean Payton and Drew Brees, which has a ton of really good nuggets in it. Yes, and, I have that book. And so everything in that book it speaks to the idea of the quarterback being the system, where you're not this play caller who's pulling the levers and you're playing through the quarterback with a controller like all these Shanahan guys do. That's what the Saints did forever. Staley said he wants to do that with Herbert. Every single early return that I've heard is that's exactly what happening is what's happening to the point that Herbert is like demanding autonomy during practice where he like doesn't want people to help him with certain coverages and looks and protections. He wants to own it. And that is really exciting to me. Like, yeah. I just think that that edge on top of every little tiny schematic advantage they could give. I'm all in. I am in the bag for this team. Yeah. Uh, imagine facing the most pressure dropbacks in the NFL during your rookie season where you get no preseason with 206 last year, and then immediately having the most success against pressure in the NFL bar none. He is the best young quarterback in the NFL. I couldn't have been more wrong about his projection coming out of college, but it was one of those, as soon as you watched him in that first game, you saw something different. And so for him, typically it's, you know, those pressured situations that are difficult and to be sticky year over year. Uh, now we're going to get, hopefully, a lot more easier throws and in structure, uh, ones that are you know clean pocket situations. And I can't wait to see where he can take this offense this year. And, and no player in the NFL had more pimples than did Justin <laughs> Herbert last year. I mean, this dude was a baby out there balling, a little baby baller. All right, I want to talk about the receivers kind of in a similar way to what we just did with the running backs because if you're looking at ADPs right now, I think that if we're talking about an anchor running back maybe in the first round and then an elite, elite receiver in the second round, I'm curious where you guys think the cutoff is for that elite, elite receiver in the second round because for me, it's right in that Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas little pivot there. Where do you think that cutoff is for you, Josh? We're like, all right, I feel comfortable with this guy as the 23rd overall pick in my draft. Another good question. I would say there's a top five of undisputed wide receiver ones on their team in Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, and Calvin Ridley. I don't want to go any further without mentioning AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, and like DK Metcalf. Um, because we know that they are absolute phenoms and have produced at a super high level during their career. But when you go and do drafts and underdog, um, Robert or Evan, you know that 
wide receiver just feels super deep. And really what you want to do is draft four of those in the top seven rounds. And if you don't draft four, then you're missing out because that is where the talent is in the NFL. I mean, I think we all feel like there are, there are 20 top 10 wide receivers in the NFL right now. And that presents itself in fantasy football too. It just feels good, you know, in those rounds, two, three, four, five, six, to really hammer the wide receiver position. And it's going to give you great returns as well. I think the cutoff is after Calvin Ridley, Evan. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that there's a little bit of a line between Ridley and a guy like Justin Jefferson? Uh, yes, yes, a little bit. Well, see, I have Calvin Ridley as the overall wide receiver four in the first tier along with Diggs, Hopkins, and Tyreek. Yep. And then there is... Uh, so the, the, ne- a- the Julio thing has scared you off of A.J. Brown a little bit compared to some other people then? I wouldn't say scared me off. Um... I'm still You're above never scared. ADP I'm sorry him. for implying that. No, that's right. It, I'm still above ADP on him, on A.J. Brown, but he starts off the next tier, and you're right that them adding Julio did bump him down, not so much very much overall, but took him out of the top tier and moved him to the, the, the top of the second tier. I, I think that the cutoff is Michael Thomas. And, what do you make um, of Michael Thomas? I want to talk about this because Evan, this is a player like over the past few years, we have gladly taken in the first round. And if we go looking back and sure, Jameis Winston is not going to be able to throw 30 interceptions and stick on the field for Sean Payton. But in 2019, Jameis Winston was a top five scorer in fantasy points per game at the quarterback position and was able to prop up. Very special circumstances. Correct. But was able to prop up the wide receiver two overall and wide receiver three overall in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And the wide receiver one in fantasy points per game that season was Michael Thomas. Yet I think because of the slant boy moniker, because, you know, he didn't finish last season. Now you're getting him just at a ridiculous discount okay. at wide receiver nine. I think all the I, negatives we're, we're, are, we're, we're, we're in agreement here. Good. So I, I, yeah, I, I, you, he could be he if you told me he was going to finish the season wide receiver one or wide receiver 20, I would believe both of them. Yeah. Okay. And I, I just think that he, his range of outcomes is as wide as any of those top tier receivers. I think it's clearly the widest. I, I think it's not as wide because and here's why, because he has an extremely safe target share. The Saints, I was surprised they did not really That's take fair. They did not address, <laughs> yeah, they did not address wide Trey receiver Smith, in the draft. I, I was thinking in the draft, they might take a wide receiver in the first round. Yeah. We're talking about Marquez Callaway, Deontay Harris, Traquan Smith, you know, Adam Troutman. These are the guys, and I, I like some of these guys, but man, I mean, they, it, it, it's very like, I mean, I think that Michael Thomas could lead the NFL in just sheer market share of targets in the New Orleans passing game. Uh, I mean, his biggest competition by far is Alvin Kamara. And then there's like a a big drop off. So I think that you can hang your hat on that. We can debate the, you know, whether the, I think Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston both make starts over the course of the season. Uh, Jameis probably makes more, but Michael Thomas has a chance like like a 30% target share and even if they're not nearly as efficient as they were with Drew Brees under center, um, I mean, any dude that's getting like 11, 12 targets per game, he's going to rake. So that, that's where I am on Michael Thomas. You sold me because I, I think that you're absolutely right. And for me, it's just the quarterback uncertainty is coloring my view on this so, so much, but it almost it might not even matter. 
because that's exactly right. When you look at the depth chart, when you look at who else is going to be taking targets and taking attention in this offense, it's probably worth betting on him in that range. I'll say this, Josh, I'm curious what you think about this. I also feel like even the group after that, when you get into round three, that collection of receivers is way more appealing to me than that group of running backs. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, Julio over, I was going to say CHE, but that's not for you. But let's say over the DeAndre Swift, Josh Jacobs group of players. I think in that range, I'd much rather come away with the receiver than most of those running backs. Yeah. Evan knows this. When we rank these running backs, we have to do it like within their own position. But it is so rare for me to leave a draft with someone like DeAndre Swift that is now being called like the running back dead zone. And it, like you said, it feels so much better to take all those wide receivers. I mean, CD lamb is among that group. Terry McLaurin is among that group. I cannot wait for what the Rams offense is going to be. And you can get, you know, Cooper cup and Robert Woods in that group. We, we saw what the bucks did in the final, what four or five weeks of the regular season, Robert Woods and excuse me, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are among there. It's, it's a loaded wide receiver position and you hit the nail on the head. And to me, that's why you need at least one anchor running back early because pounding wide receiver for like four straight rounds, five straight rounds. And also don't be afraid to like or draft two wide receivers from the same team. It's not going to be like, Oh, only one is going to produce. We just ran through that whole list. There's a lot of teammates on that list. Draft them both because you believe in the offense. You believe in the quarterback. You believe in the play call. And ideally get them from teams that have very narrow target distributions. I mean, the opti- the, the ideal uh, example here is DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett, I, I'm 15 spots above ADP on right now in terms of just positional ranking. I'm sorry, not no, in terms of overall ranking. Six spots in terms of positional ranking. I have him in wide receiver 16. Uh, he's wide receiver 22 or wide receiver 20 on underdog, wide receiver 22 on football guys championship. Um, and he is a, a, a screaming value. And you look at the rest of their pass catcher, you know, depth chart, it's DK at the top and then Tyler Lockett and then a big drop off, you know, a little bit of Carson here, a little bit of Jared Everett here, maybe some Dwayne Eskridge, but these guys have, you know, very solid target shares and are, are very good values. DK Metcalf, you're not going to get at a value. But you could get Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson at values, and all of a sudden you got you got a lot of firepower there uh, under the new OC Shane Waldron. Who I mean, talking about going up tempo, I I love to hear that. I think everything you just said also applies to Adam Thielen, right? A hundred percent. Actually, we I just recorded a podcast with uh, Adam Levitan, and we made a. a, a straight comparison between Tyler Lockett's situation and Adam Thielen's. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right. So if we're talking about, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Evan, but I want to dig into it a little further. If we're talking about that running back receiver receiver route in the first three rounds, let's go hunting for running back twos here. So if we're looking at that group, is there a player in that collection, Josh, whether it's, I know you said no Swift, but Swift, Miles Sanders, Mike Davis, is there somebody in that group that you feel is the best bet if you're hunting for a second running back in that range? I mean, I, I absolutely love Mike Davis this season. So do um, I. It's <laughs> might get me in trouble how much I love Mike Davis this season, <laughs> but, but I love it. It's, I don't think, again, you can undersell the importance of what Arthur Smith is going to do with this team because the Falcons, the last few years, have been 26th or worse in red zone touchdown rate. And then we know Arthur Smith during his time in Tennessee has been first, second, or third, basically universally every single year. And just being able to convert in those areas. And I know they didn't like from a contract perspective, give him that much money, but we know the Falcons had to trade Julio because they had no money. I mean, there were a few things that went along with it. So like just giving the amount of responsibility over to Mike Davis, who showed last season without Christian McCaffrey, they can go in there for six, eight, nine targets a game and work in the receiving game and also create yards on his own as well with a condensed opportunity tree of Calvin Ridley, Cal Pitts to Mike Davis from Matt Ryan. That That's a player I absolutely love this summer. I think you could make arguments for other guys in that range. I think you could make arguments for Javante Williams. I think you could make arguments for Chase Edmonds. There are players there, but all of those guys, you need a break or two. You need Melvin Gordon to fall by the wayside. You need James Conner to fall by the wayside. With Mike Davis, he was objectively good last year, and you don't need that sort of break with the depth chart. 
his path to a monster, monster workload just feels more clear to me than the other guys in that range. Do you think that's fair, Evan? Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm above ADP on Mike Davis. So I'm with you guys. I think he'd catch a ton of passes this year. I don't, I don't think – like Arthur Smith is smart, and he's not going to pretend that Mike Davis is Derrick Henry. And, you know, model the, I mean, model the the Falcons offense in the image of the Titans. But I do think he will carry over some concepts. I think he's going to use a lot of play action. I think that he's going to use a lot of two tight end sets. I think that Hayden Hurst is actually kind of sneaky in in the deeper tight end premium leagues uh, that that are pretty popular on um, on, um, uh, FFPC. Uh, but I think that Mike Davis has a chance to catch like 60 balls. The only thing that worries me about Mike Davis is that, that my, the Falcons might add another running back because they just don't have a ton invested in Mike Davis. And that's what, you know, teams tend to do. Like, you know, whether it be. They've got like 17 cents in cap space. It's the only thing that might be working know, in Mike Davis's favor here. Why do they, how about they get rid of Deion Jones instead of Julio? I mean, come on, man. But um, the, the the one player in that range, though, that I think is interesting, the one running back in that same range, and I have him about a round below Mike Davis, is Miles Gaskin, mm. um, who he also doesn't have a ton of – well, they brought in Malcolm Brown, and they've got this rookie Jared Dokes, but really he doesn't have a ton of comp- – and, and, and they were willing to feed him. Big time. I mean, like 22 touches a game pretty consistently last year. They use him in the passing game a lot. He's not a, you know, he's not a flashy back, but he's kind of like, you know, he's, he's like a dolphin style back. Like they're not going to invest big time into their analytically run team. It was hilarious when teams were, or when mock drafts were trying to project them for, you know, to draft a running back in the first round. I mean, you know, Josh, you can attest that you had the greatest mock draft in 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 NFL history, right? Now, to, to be honest, Evan, I did mock them Travis Etienne in round one. So you're you're maybe oh making my. fun of me here. Oh wow! The, the guy who not, only got sixteen of thirty two correct in the That's first round. That's embarrassing, Maze. You might have to cut that. <laughs> you might have to cut that. But I think uh, Miles Gaskin makes total sense. I think yeah, among that think? group, he absolutely would jump out to me as the other guy outside of Mike Davis. But again, that's the type of bargain that's the type of hit you're gonna have to have in this range in order to maximize that approach robert can i throw out one more name and i, I would hate can. to to go by this segment without doing it i am 30 spots ahead of adp on damian harris oh, i'm sorry think- i am so sorry i meant to mention him as well i i th- that's that's on me look instead of drafting miles gaskin like go out there and draft i don't know like o- odell beckham and instead of drafting chase edmonds maybe you can get a Mike Williams we're going to talk about in a little bit, wait another 10, 20 spots later and, and get Damian Harris. Like if, if we view what the Patriots want to be this year, I think the closest comparison might be what the Cleveland Browns were last year in terms of being like multiple at the tight end position. They obviously spent more money than anyone at the tight end position right now. They have on paper, a top five, top 10 offensive line. You can back me up that and, and Robert and like Bill Belichick and, and Josh McDaniels, Last year, it was just an eyesore to watch that offense. They need some level of consistency. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're bottom five in pass attempts, top five in running attempts. We, we've we had Phil Perry on the Underdog Football Show. He said immediately that Damian Harris is going to get the Sony Michelle treatment. And you can rarely get value like that. Someone who might be able to approach 17 or 20 touches at 87 overall right now. And underdog again, I've been at 57 overall. I'm in love with Damian Harris's projection. 
I'm looking at ADPs right now, and he's right in the James Conner range. It's crazy. That makes that makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean that makes absolutely that no sense, sense to me. Uh, there, there is a negative case to be made against uh, Damian Harris, though. What is it? I'm curious. I would like to hear what you think. The he's not going to catch any passes. Um, it's the James gonna, White you know, effect. Not only the James White effect, but also the Cam Newton effect. I mean, running backs have, with the exception of the one year with Christian McCaffrey, which was totally designed by um, Scott and, and Norv Turner in Carolina, running backs just have not caught a lot of passes uh, in Cam Newton offenses. And also Cam Newton is a vulture, a major vulture at the goal line. So I don't want a bunch of empty weeks where I'm getting, you know, 19 carries for 87 yards, zero touchdowns, and one catch for six out of Damian Harris. How many points is that? You know, that's like um, like barely 10 points. And that's like going to be, I mean, that's kind of like a good game. I mean, he averages, you know, high yards per carry and, you know, he gets the job done and he gets a lot of touches, you know, but they're, but they're not really fantasy friendly touches. So that's the case against Damian Harris. Uh, with that said, I get where Josh is coming from. I get where you guys are coming from. But James White is a big prop. Is Mac Jones going to get in? Would Mac Jones be a good thing for Damian Harris? I yeah, think would, he absolutely would, would, would. Just in terms of yeah. touchdown upside, for sure. Yeah, okay. Um, but James White, is James White going to be a more Mac Jones-style RB? Or I don't know. I mean, and they've got Ra- the, Ramondre Stevenson there. And Sony Michelle. If you're looking at just where his ADP is right now. I think a yeah. lot of these concerns are built into that. And I still you're, you're think right. that it's a value. Yep. So I, I do, I still think even if there are, there's a ton of validity to what you're saying. I still think he's a little bit too low. All yep. right, let's get to, we talked about just overarching philosophy as, in regard to quarterbacks. Let's get to some specific quarterback strategy and range here. What to you guys is the sweet spot at the position? Who do you, who are you coming away with very often right now? And where are you coming away with them? Evan, let's start with you. Uh, it would be the last of the top four, which includes Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, whichever one of those guys falls to me. Um, ideally, after I had taken that quarterback's wide receiver one or tight end one with one of my first three or four picks. And then looking at, at quarterbacks in the, in the fifth or sixth round. And then I'm, I'm willing to wait. Um, I like Matthew Stafford a lot this yes. year. I like Baker Mayfield particularly late. I think in two quarterback super flex leagues, which I know we're, we're not supposed to talk about here, but I really like Tua. Um, so that's where I kind of stand on the quarterback position right now. I think that makes sense. I would almost rather, looking at your rankings though, Evan, I part of me would rather wait three rounds and get Dak rather than going and yeah. paying for a guy yeah. like Kyler Murray. And Dak I even just just, just always Herbert's go a in that group bit. as well. Dak just seems to always go multiple rounds almost before I take him. I do mm-hmm. have the concern about is he going to come back and boom, you know, be be ready to go after I mean there was a brutal injury, wasn't it? I believe he is. Like, okay. I just well, I think I that right. is where you can get some value. And I, I the Justin Herbert excitement feels built into the way he's being valued right now. So I think that even as somebody who loves him, it's a pretty rich price when you compare him to some of the guys he's going around. Josh, how about you? Where do you feel like you're coming away with quarterbacks? What do you think is the sweet spot as you're kind of going through drafts right now? Yeah, again, I'm more ready to take earlier quarterbacks than normal. I'm still, you know, probably not taking a lot of Patrick Mahomes unless I come away with 
Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill earlier in the draft, but you're, you're mentioning Dak Prescott on underdog. He's going as the quarterback five. I have him all the way as the quarterback three, because I think we forget based on how early his injury was. He was the quarterback one in fancy points per game last season, 27 points per contest, four full starts, averaged 50 passing attempts per contest, 34 completions, 420 passing yards, three total touchdowns per game. I mean, that's incredible. And I also want to mention Matthew Stafford because I understand like maybe the Matthew Stafford hype in terms of transforming the Rams. It's is, been a week. It, it's It's been a week, but let me say, he doesn't have to transfer the Rams. He just has to be kind of what Jared Goff has been in the past because in 2018, Jared Goff had 32 touchdowns, which was six in the NFL and was fourth in passing yards. In 2019, he was third in passing yards. I mean, and we just know that Jared Goff could not keep up with Sean McVay and that he basically wanted to upgrade that quarterback position to activate all the eligibles. Jordan Rodriguez of the athletic has talked about this on an endless basis. And I am I, part of me believes and tell me if I'm an idiot for thinking this because of the five quarterbacks that went in the first round of the draft and how much of the news cycle that took up. We have forgotten a little bit, just how much of an upgrade Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff can be for one of the, probably best teams in the league and one of the best play callers already with an offense that is in place, as long as the top five offensive linemen stick out there on the field. I mean, Matthew Stafford going as quarterback 12 or, or quarterback 13, depending on where you're drafting to me, that is far too low with the potential that this offense has. How about the fact Ryan that he's in the same range as Joe Burrow is like, I would yeah. much rather have Matthew Stafford in that range than Joe. Really? Burrow. That's interesting. That's kind of yeah. anti, uh, what Leone and, and Levitan think. They love Joe Burrow. Burrow's going oh. as quarterback nine, so three spots ahead. He's going ahead yeah, of Tom Brady right now, too. People are huge on Joe Burrow, by yep. the way. Yep. Um, but I wanted to throw out Ryan Tannehill because he's been hyper-efficient. Now, no doubt, partly uh, as a, you know, a result of playing for Arthur Smith, who did a great, great job for Tennessee. But now he's got Julio Jones. He's got A.J. Brown in his third year, Typically, you know, a, a big step year for wide, wide receivers historically. Um, he and, and he can run, and they they have called like uh, goal line runs for him, and uh, historically, and also, uh, I mean, if and I think that his pass attempts could spike this year, uh, and, and just you know get a bunch more volume under under Todd Downing, who doesn't have the the greatest track record, but I mean, if his pass attempts spike. And we know that Julio has like an uplifting effect on his quarterback. Matt, if you go back and look at Matt Ryan's splits with and without Julio, stark difference. Um, what do you guys think about Ryan Tannehill as a guy that could take a leap and maybe even be like an MVP candidate? I think that if you're betting on the efficiency keeping pace as the volume goes up, you're going to be a sad man. And if, if we see a lot more pass attempts, I don't think those pass attempts and their results look like they've looked over the last two years. In my He's opinion, got Julio now, man, Julio, he can still ball. I'd rather have Matthew. I'd rather have the guy with Arthur Smith right now, 40 yep. spots later than Ryan Tannehill. All right. All right. The, the, the statue, the, the sack absorbing statue. I, I already talked about this, but I think the jump in red zone efficiency for the Falcons is going to be huge for Matt Ryan on where he's going, based on where he's going. Because Ryan Tannehill, you're mentioning it, Robert. He's going as quarterback 11, and Matt Ryan is going as quarterback 17. Um, that's a huge discrepancy, an absolute huge totally discrepancy. Agree. So, so we talked about a little bit. Of, we talked about this a little bit early on, 
but we're talking about finding rushing upside with quarterbacks and where you get some value. With guys that are veterans, it's hard to find. It's really, really difficult for anybody that's been in the league for any amount of time. It might be possible with this rookie group. Evan, when you're looking at the rookie quarterbacks, which one are you betting on and when do you find yourself betting on him? Well, I think that the easy answer would be Trevor Lawrence. Um, I really like Daryl Bevel and the way that he has been able to maximize the talent of the offenses, whether it be in Seattle or in Detroit, you know, the Lions. This is a pro Daryl Bevel podcast, so you're in in good company here. The the Lions before Daryl Bevel came aboard under under the great Jim Bob Cooter, who I don't know who employs him uh, anymore. But, uh, you know, they they geared the offense around – slot receiver Golden Tate and slot back Theo Riddick with the strongest arm quarterback in the league or, you know, a top five in terms of arm strength. Daryl Bevel comes in. He's like, no, we're not doing this. We're going to throw the ball down the fucking field and we're going to throw it to Kenny Galladay. And, you know, when Kenny Galladay was healthy, I mean, Matthew Stafford was balling. Unfortunately, neither of those guys stayed consistently healthy and Daryl Bevel was, was shipped out of town. Uh, but, but now, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be playing with under Daryl Bevel. DJ Shark can make plays downfield. Uh, Marvin Jones, I think, adds like a lot of veteran savvy to to that uh, that pass catcher core. Lavisca Chenault. I mean, the guy who he reminds me of uh, early in his career is Br- like you remember Brandon Marshall, who's so raw coming out of UCF, but man, you could see him just making plays after the catch and just destroying people, just a vicious player after the catch. And I think LaVisca Chenault has a little bit uh, of that to his game. And then, of course, Tim Tebow, who was, you know, blessed by the, <laughs> the hand of Jesus. Um, and uh, No, but I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to come in and make the offensive line look better right away. And I, I, so I would bet on Trevor. I think he's going to come in. I think that the best comparison for his rookie year would be Andrew Luck's rookie year. Yeah. All of a sudden, this offense gets elevated. And Robert, you know this from watching Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. While there might have been two or three throws that you wanted to give back to him each and every game, like they were mistakes. But then he also made like three to five plays, which totally elevated his team. He also has some underlying rushing upside inside the five yard line. Like they would use like quarterback power scenarios with him. And as Evan uh, has mentioned in other shows, while the Jaguars offensive line isn't one that we absolutely love, at least they kept the five starters in place. And like this, this fancy football bubble that we live in at the moment, there's this debate between LaVisca versus DJ Chark and Marvin Jones and Travis Etienne and James Robinson. Okay. Debate all you want and just take the quarterback. It's a good group of players. It's a really good group of players. And I, I totally, agree and I think the Andrew Luck comparison makes total sense I could see him stepping in hitting the ground running and being them being a really good offense like a top 10 ish offense from the start that would not surprise me but that is somewhat baked into where he's going in drafts right he's like the quarterback 13 14 it may be higher than that but he's going significantly higher than some of his draft mates I look at where Trey Lance is going I feel like with one or two things unfolding in San Francisco, Trey Lance could win you your league in the same way that Robert Griffin did in 2012. Is that crazy? Totally. No, not at all. I, I think the 49ers have a path to a top five offense in the NFL. Now, Kyle Shanahan multiple times this offseason has talked about, well, we're just not going to go out there and throw 30 passes if we don't have to. You know, like you go back to that Packers game in the playoffs 
where Raheem Mostert ran for 220 yards and four touchdowns and Jimmy Garoppolo threw eight pass attempts. And that wasn't a Jimmy thing. That was just because no one could stop that rushing attack on that offense. But where I just talked about the Jaguars passing game, uh, there's some debate because they're going around in the same areas of Brandon Ayuk versus Debo Samen if the volume is going to be there. Look, it's so clear that Kyle Shanahan believes in Trey Lance. He offers an added element that he just hasn't had in quite some time. I believe in Trey Lance. I don't also don't know how you keep him on the sideline for a second full season. And especially what Kyle Shanahan said in his press conference immediately after they traded up. I think he plays earlier than most. I will say, Robert, on underdog, he's going one spot ahead of Trevor Lawrence right now. So the public agrees oh, really? with you. That's yeah, really interesting. That, okay. That, that Trey Lance can absolutely do it. But I, I, I fully believe in that offense, what they can do with that offensive line. And it's just, to me, rare, Evan, for a top five pick to be inserted in such a great situation. And I think that's going to unfold in a really positive way for the 49ers this year. I'm surprised that you failed to mention that you had uh, Trey Lance to the 49ers in your mock draft. Look, but, you know, um, he- but, uh, but no, I wanted to mention how this pertains to George Kittle. Because to me, you know, this, this was controversial, I think, sort of early in the fantasy offseason uh, that I, I had like Darren Waller, like significantly ahead of George Kittle. I think that's come to become the, the consensus almost. But I mean, George Kittle is such he's a badass blocker, man. I mean, and, and he can be a huge part of the offense without, you know, with only catching three balls a game. And so that that, you know, puts some risk on him. And I wonder if guys like Kyle Pitts, Mark. Andrews, TJ Hawkinson even could pass him in terms of production. He can still be by far the best actual NFL player of of all of them. So look, talking, speaking of Kyle Pitts, looking at some of these rookie pass catch, by the way, one more thing, Josh, even if they throw the ball eight times, Jimmy Garoppolo is getting none of those carries. Trey Lance is getting a chunk of those carries. And I think that is, that is one thing that I would pay attention to what the shit they're going to be able to do in the quarterback run game is going to be devastating. I cannot wait to watch it. And I hope it happens sooner rather than later. But thinking about Kyle Pitts, to me, this is the most interesting, the top guys, the top, top guys, the most interesting group of rookie skill position players we've had in a while, because I feel like even if Justin Jefferson slipped in there, you couldn't have predicted it beforehand. There's a world where Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase are both top of their position type fantasy contributors from the start. And with Kyle Pitts, that's baked into where he's going in drafts. With Jamar Chase, it doesn't feel like it is. Where do you sit on the rookie skill position player? This is a terrible question. Where do you sit on the rookie skill position (laughs) players, Evan? And who do you think is the most interesting in that group? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that both of those guys are priced actually pretty expensively. Even Jamar Chase, he is um, uh, he's like wide receiver 20 in ADP right now. I think I have him like wide receiver 25. I have T. Higgins right b- behind him. I think T. Higgins could outscore him this year. You got Tyler Boyd there as well. Uh, Joe Mixon, Mixon, it sounds like he's going to be an every-down player this, this year, and he could catch a ton of passes. They don't really have a, a big-time presence at tight end. Um but, you know, they, they, they showed a willingness to throw the ball extremely voluminously when Joe, uh, when Joe Burrow was healthy last year and play at a very fast clip and run a ton of plays. So that, that kind of thing really can work in the favor of Jamar Chase, not to mention his already established rapport with Joe Burrow from college. Um, I think that if you 
give me a second here. I'm looking at my notes. Here's my argument here. Yeah, go ahead. I, I completely agree with that. And I think that there are a lot of guys that are going to demand targets and attention in that offense. But looking at where he's going compared to other players in the position, I'd rather have Jamar Chase than Kenny Galladay. I think I'd Definitely. rather have Jamar Chase than Deontay Johnson. I'd rather have mm-hmm. Jamar yeah. Chase than Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Ooh. So he, I just think the upside of what he could be is just so much higher than some of those other guys that I would be willing to take a chance on that. I think if, if you look further down the board, um, then I think that you're talking about guys that could really smash his rookies. Yep. Uh, Devontae Smith of the Eagles. You could get him pretty pretty inexpensively right now. And I'm worried, I'm concerned about the you know Eagles quarterback play. That's my concern there. Yeah, I, I mean, love I st- I Devontae Smith, but those... I have a hard time making a bet on what their passing game might look like. I still can't get OJ Howard's college uh, highlight reel tape out of my out of my head because the only way that the that Alabama could get OJ Howard the ball when Jalen Hurst was his quarterback was on like shovel passes. Um, I know what you're going to say to me, Josh. You're going to say, why would you take Jamar Chase 67th overall when you can get Will Fuller at 94? I know that's what you're <laughs> going to say to me. That is, I'll bring up a couple other rookie wide receivers because we know it's a great bunch. And your co-host, Nate Tice, is going to love this one. Uh, Rashad Bateman is going as wide receiver 55. I'm 11 spots higher at the wide receiver position because I think he can unlock the Ravens passing game more so than we've seen other players that they've brought in in the past. And look, that that might only mean 100 targets like Marquise That's, Brown it's a got last year. To me. It, That's my concern. It absolutely is a volume thing. But again, as wide receiver 55, so that's your wide receiver five on your fantasy team or wide receiver four. I, I think the outside inside versatility, I mean, you people have listened to the show know that Rashad Bateman's an awesome player. And I think he fits very well with Lamar Jackson. And I also want to bring up Elijah Moore, who's getting more and more expensive as the weeks go along. Um, in fact, he's going the highest of all the Jets pass catchers right now, even ahead of Corey Davis, who they gave a ton of money to. Um, and it makes sense, though, because, look, that play caller is obviously coming from a quote-unquote Kyle Shanahan tree, and what they care most about, or a critical factor, is yards after catch capabilities. And there is no one on that roster, really, that thrives in that area more than Elijah Moore. Now, again, he's getting expensive at wide receiver 53, but Evan, you know this. If we continue once preseason practices roll around training camp and he gets more and more positive buzz. And he goes out there in those first two preseason games and absolutely balls out and is in locked into the starting lineup. We could see him as a top 40 wide receiver when it's all said and done. I mm, 100% agree preseason football. Mm, I can't wait. I, I can't I wait. Would, I would so much rather have Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman in that range than the guys that are going around them. I, and I typically tend to do that in most years. I would bat, I'd rather bet on the unknown and the upside of a lot of those rookies compared to the guys going in that range. It's a couple exceptions. Evan, we'll bring it back to somebody got, you mentioned a little bit earlier. Are there guys in that Mike Williams mold in that range of drafts that you feel you're consistently taking dice rolls on because you think their upside is not properly being valued? Yeah, Michael Gallup. Um, and Michael Gallup got, I mean, his season, well, first of all, he, they used him as a role player last year and Amari Cooper and, you know, Amari Cooper was like the alpha and then CD lamb run a bunch of, ran a bunch of high percentage routes, did great on them. Um, and Michael Gallup was the, you know, sort of the, the clear out deep threat guy. 
but he can do a lot more. Number one, number two, Dak Prescott is coming back. When Dak Prescott was in the lineup for the first four games, Michael Gallup was on pace for 1,100 yards. After that, Michael Gallup was on pace for like 700 some some yards. Now that was his 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 pace stats were spiked by one big game with Dak Prescott, but that's the kind of game that is within his range of outcomes when Dak Prescott is in the game. If something happens to Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb, all of a sudden you have drafted in the eighth or ninth round where where Michael Gallup is going. Actually, he's going even later than that right now. You have drafted the, you know, the number two pass catcher in a top five passing offense. And Michael Gallup is good. You know, I think that there is merit that even though he was inconsistent last year, he has this sort of low percentage role Betting on a talented player in a really good offense, a bankable offense, um, I think those are those are absolutely the, the the sort of middle round picks that everyone should be wanting to make. Josh, how about you? Receivers outside of let's say the top thirty five that yeah. you feel find yourself rolling the dice on, other than Will Fuller. <laughs> well, I was about to say that one. Let's talk about Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel's going as, as wide receiver 42. I know the public out there, your listeners probably hate people like me and Evan talking about Curtis Samuel each and every year. I'm sorry. I've got to do it again. I know a lot of people also view last season as his breakout year with Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater when he played about 70% of his snaps in the slot and he crossed, you know, over a thousand scrimmage yards, but that's when he had like an A dot around like seven and a half average at the target of seven and a half yards. Um, his real breakout, and you guys can back me up on this, was, was 2019 when Scott and North Turner were calling the plays. He could have easily crossed double-digit touchdowns, had over a 1,000 yards if Kyle freaking Allen was not his quarterback. And when you go and talk to the beat writers there in Washington and you read the tea leaves, Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel are both going to play outside. And they're going to both be downfield playmakers with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. I'm like seven or eight spots ahead of ADP on Curtis Samuel. And look, maybe at the end of the year, it doesn't hit once again, but I'm all the way back in on Curtis Samuel in 2021. I feel like there's going to be fireworks with that offense. I have no (laughs) idea how good it's going to be. I have no idea how long they're going to hold on to the ball, but I know it's going to be very exciting. Among that group, somebody that... Could not be less exciting to draft, especially compared to some of the other guys you could probably get in that range. But someone I think could really have a ton of value this year is Marvin Jones. I yeah. legitimately believe that Marvin Jones could be the most productive receiver on the Jaguars this season. Oh, comes don't, comes don't from that it. offense with Daryl Bevel. You really think he's going to outscore Tebow? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good the first time Evan made the joke the second time. I love it. He had 75 catches, almost a thousand yards and nine touchdowns last year. Yeah. yeah. Dude, Marvin I, Jones puts together the quietest, you know, consistent 900 plus yard every year career in NFL history. And I think playing with Lawrence and again, he knows that offense better than the guys that are going to be in their first year in that system, even though they're younger, more exciting players. I would not be surprised at all if he was the de facto number one receiver in that group by the end of the season, playing with Trevor Lawrence, somebody we all just said we're very excited about. Such a dad take, but I mean, I can't, you know, I can't really disagree with that. It definitely could happen. I mean, he's going to be the guy who knows where to be in the offense. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And I think and, that and there is value matters. in that. We, we don't talk about that kind of stuff in, enough, I think. I mean, that stuff matters. That and I think Mike Williams, again, we brought him up a little bit earlier, but if he stays healthy and, and that offense takes a step forward, it doesn't feel like Ty, you know, Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton are going to be chewing into his work 
as to the point that he should be with his ADP and where he's going. It feels like that could be another guy where you could get a lot of value there. All right, guys, that is all I got. Is there anything else you need to say before this is over? Any other fantasy thoughts you must leave the listeners with before we get out of here? Evan, we'll start with you. No, Maze, I just want your Super Bowl pick for this year. I, I have not started. No, there's no way. It's what, what? It's it's July 13th. There's no oh, way I'm going to do that right on, now. Man. I All have right. not even started thinking about that yet. <laughs> All right. Josh, um, what's your who's your Super Bowl pick? So, come on, Evan. I'll I'll give you this. Jamin Davis for defensive rookie of the year. You can get some some good odds on that right now, too. Okay. That's that work for you? Is that good enough? I, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, because that defense, I think people are going to be talking a lot about them. They're going to be uh, a visible team. I think they're going to be pretty good. I like that. Before we get out of here. Um, you alluded to it, Robert. Why is everyone so underrating Will Fuller out there? I mean, last year's wide receiver eight in fancy points per game is going as wide receiver 40 this year. It's just because of being on the Dolphins and people not believing in that offense right now. And obviously they think he's injured all the time and coming off a one game PED suspension. He immediately becomes the best player on that offense period. And I understand last year was like his low eight, lowest eight out of his career. It's fine if it comes lower because it also equaled a career year as well. I, I think Will Fuller might be one of the best values out there. And finally, Robert want to add that, you know, fancy football. I'm so glad we're talking about it now in the middle of July because it doesn't really start in mid-August anymore. It starts right now. So uh, to me, the best way for you to prepare is to go and do some best ball drafts out there yep. because it really allows you to go through all the roster constructions that we talk about. It's set it and forget it. All you do is draft and then the platform picks your best possible lineup each and every week. There's so much fun to do. And it just gets you reps. I mean, how yep. do you improve yeah. it at anything? Just get reps at it. Do five of them, you'll end up doing 25. It's um, like Pringles. It's football Pringles. Yeah, I mean, it's once you start it, you'll have a blast. Gentlemen, thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your summer to help me more than even our listeners start with their fantasy prep. So thank you guys very much. I'm sure we'll talk to you guys down the road. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back next week, me and Nate. It's got my last podcast before I head on a quick little vacation. It's going to be our last podcast before we really ramp up for training camp. It is going to be here before you know it. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic. I wrote today. I wrote something and it's on the internet. You can read it. It's about Baker Mayfield. It's about his pending contract situation all the things the Browns are going to have to consider when deciding what they want to do with that. So please go check that out. Theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back next week with Nate. Talk to you guys later. This was The Athletic Football Show.